Well, again, we have been studying, if you're just joining us today, either online or in person, we have been through um, one of the more challenging studies I have ever had in my life. Um, we have been looking at apocalyptic literature. We have been, been thinking about the end times. It is so easy, is it not, to say, yeah, come on, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. And I say that on a regular basis. Um, but then God has reminded us, hasn't he, about the cost when he comes again. We took a break after uh, the initial challenge of the first seven letters in the book of Revelation. And we went back and learned a little bit more about apocalyptic literature from uh, the book of Daniel. There's several books we could have gone to, Ezekiel or Zechariah. But we went to Daniel because it was a little bit familiar to us. And, and God opened our minds to this mystery that is his visions for our future. And I just want to take a moment as we begin our time together today and say, what, what have we learned together during these times? If you're just catching up with us now, a, a quick review, if we could. We've seen that the book of Revelation is a series of, of apocalyptic, in other words, uh, unveiling visions, visions which pull back the veil and allow us to see what's behind the scenes of our existence, behind the scenes of the biblical witness, behind the scenes of, of our future. And, and we saw that those visions were filled with prophetic pronouncements, prophetic not always, only a small percentage of the time having to do with future, but but more having to do with forth-telling God's word into our circumstances. We saw also that that these prophetic visions and pronouncements were written as a letter. And so, uh, so we have received that, that God is speaking to us today. Now, now, I say that, and, and today we're going to deal with one of the most difficult concepts, especially for non-believers in our world today. We're going to look at the wrath of God today. Um, so, so it is a letter to us, but it is a hard word to us many times. I think it's made sometimes, this is just me grousing, forgive me, Lord, but, but it's made sometimes kind of harder because in, in this mystery that they lived in at that time, they had to kind of couch, um, truth in symbols, uh, to, to protect, uh, the integrity of the message, but also to protect the, the people that would carry that message. And so, so as we've seen and will continue to see in the balance of Revelation, there are various symbols and numbers that have powerful meaning in the book of Revelation, but that if we're just cruising through uh, the book, we wouldn't necessarily notice. So, so I just want to remind you again that, that every word God has significance in me. Not one word historically or prophetically is wasted. Um, but I just want to remind you that there's a lot more going on than we can grasp. By the way, a lot more going on than we can possibly cover here. So again, I invite you, like, like John did in giving us the book of Revelation, to use it as a springboard to go back into the entire word of God and to grasp the truths that were there from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation. Right, um, to use it as a springboard to go back. There are many studies, by the way, at least five in our congregation where you can go deeper. Two of them happen immediately following this service. You can go deeper into the passages that we're studying together. But just a reminder, too, that that um, we've seen in Revelation that that these visions are not 
arranged chronologically. If you go from, like we're prone to do in the Western world, from, from the beginning to the end, it'd be, it'd be amazing to think that all these things are happening in Revelation, but we've seen over and over again that, that God is, is, um, is cyclical, not chronological, right? That God is telling us the same story seven times with ever-increasing intensity, with ever-increasing detail. So we've seen seven letters, we've seen seven seals, we've seen seven trumpets. We, we were still, we have still been kept from seeing seven thunders. We have seen seven visions now, and today we're seeing seven bowls. They are the same seven things um, recapitulated, intensified, so that God would say to us, I do not want you to miss this. Why? Because one day we may very well be in the midst of it and and God wants us to understand what he's doing in the midst of this, right? Well, all through this thing, we've been guided by a couple of questions. Do you remember them? Uh, two questions in our study of Revelation that have helped us kind of oversimplify what this entire book is saying. The first one, Kristen reminded us of when we saw the... Um, the seals, and that is that is this, um, who is worthy, right? Who is worthy? The great lament of the book of Revelation is that human beings fail. There's no one who is worthy to usher in the future of God. And then we discovered, yes, there is. There is this Lamb of God, this Christ who has gone before and is worthy not only to reveal the truth of the future, but also to walk with us into it. Jesus Christ is worthy. Then the second question was uh, also Kristen saw in the seals was this was this message, who can stand under and, and the word went by so fast that we didn't dwell on it at all. Who can stand under the wrath of God? Who can stand under the wrath of God? And and our our temptation is to jump to the conclusion that no one can stand. When we understand it, we're going to see it here in a few moments. When we understand that, um, uh, what the wrath of God is, then it is overwhelming, right? But we have hope from the book of Revelation that there are those who will be able to stand. And our great desire today is to become those people. Amen? God, open your word to us. Speak to us words of life, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me real quickly. Um, we're going to spend a few moments thinking about wrath for just a second, but go with me for a second, if you would, to Romans chapter 1 in the New Testament. Wait, I thought we were in Revelation. Um, uh, all of God's word has one powerful message, and you can see it in each and every location, but sometimes it's really clear. While you're turning to Romans chapter 1, I'm going to actually introduce the main passage with the preface here. I'm wearing it around my wrist here. I've been doing that for a long time. Um, Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone, not some, for everyone who believes. To the people of God, to the Jews first, but then also to the non-Jews. They call them Greeks here in Romans. That's me. That's people like me who are not um, Jewish in origin. To everyone who believes the gospel is the power of God. Why? For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous will live by faith. 
If you thought that righteousness was just about right actions, uh, that somehow then catch God's attention, he says, man, that he or she is doing so wonderful. Righteousness is simply putting your trust in the right things, right? Or in this case, in the right person. Righteousness, the righteous shall live by faith. Now hold on, because here's where we're gonna, we're gonna get into it. Why? Why is righteousness so important? Because the wrath of God is revealed, verse 18, from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. This is harsh, but here it's so they are without excuse. So we are without excuse. You know that question, what about people in outer Indonesia who never have heard about Jesus? God has been revealing himself through his creation. Through his creation. Oh, there's a place for special revelation. There's a a place for you proclaiming the creator and the wonders of God through his son, Jesus. Don't mistake me for a moment. But, but, but God has been revealing himself from the very beginning, right? So they are without excuse. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to them, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. That's not a a nice word in scripture. Fools is an incredibly impactful word. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is forever blessed. And he just stops, amen, amen. He goes into much more detail. Let me summarize Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3. There are three major temptations that, this is not in your notes, I don't think, three major temptations that we have to be careful of. The first one is to believe that God does not care about how we live. He cares very much how we live. We are his representers. We are his representatives, right, in the world. He cares about how we live. I feel like I went away there. Do we lose something? Secondly, though, secondly, though, right about the time we're going, yeah, God, strike them down, smite them, God, who dishonor you. He says, and you are without excuse. You who would cast judgment on someone else. There is another vulnerability be, besides um, besides forgetfulness, living as if God didn't exist, and that's judging people that live as if God didn't exist. They don't have the Holy Spirit, Right? They don't have the witness that you have. So he says, be very careful in Romans 2 about judging them, right? 
And he says in Romans 3, be very careful about somehow trying to earn God's favor by your righteous acts. All our righteousness is as filthy rags, he says, right, before God. All of our righteousness, any acts that we do are just in loving response to the gratefulness of God. Mm. Younger people might say, why do they fawn over pictures of babies on on that, right? Why did the whole thing, the whole room just go like that, right? They're babies, right? Um, Because, no, they are miracles. They are miracles. And, And we've come to that place where we've humbly realized that we cannot do this. We cannot be God. So the book of Romans says, be very careful. The wrath of God is being poured out against this. Now, in Revelations 15 and 16, we also see the the wrath of God. I'm not going to, I'm going to summarize it here for a second and invite you to go deeper into it. It is a recapitulation of the plagues of Egypt on those who would worship creation and the created things rather than worshiping the creator, God, right? And so he he um, goes through, and every it, it calls bulls, and I think in the ESV, other others of you have vials in there. But it's really just a pan. And anybody who's ever cooked with charcoal knows exactly what this. You know, you you have a charcoal dinner, and then and then when when the when the when the sacrifice is over, when the chicken is barbecued. By the way, what are we cooking this afternoon? Oh man, everybody, we're going. No, you're not. <laughs> we're not. He hasn't even invited me. He's not going to invite all of us. But he does do amazing sacrifices every Sunday afternoon I've seen on, on Facebook. They took the coals, right? And they scrape them into a bowl and they take them out and pour out that. It's literally, literally, it's like one of those pans. They pour out this pan with the burning coals out on the ground. And, and what God is revealing through John is that that's going to happen on creation. That God is going to pour out the pans of his wrath, his judgment on creation. Why? Not because creation is not good. God created it. It's good because we worship it. We insist on worshiping created things, including ourselves, right? Rather than the creator. So Revelation 15, 16, this last set of, of a cycle of, of God's judgment here revealed for us is the pouring out of his wrath. So we have to stop for a second. You'd be glad I'm going to go back to my notes for a second here. Let's talk about this word wrath for a second because there's a huge difference between human wrath and and God's wrath. Let me just ask you, what do you picture when you picture human wrath? And probably for many of us, we can picture it because we have experienced it somewhere along the line we have experienced it i say that like i'm very experienced in experiencing human wrath and probably i can count them on less than one hand the times where i have personally experienced the wrath of another human but it was ugly it was ugly right um it was uncontrolled disassociated rage and, and I didn't take it too seriously because, because I just recognized it wasn't about me. It was about what the person was experiencing, right? But, but human wrath is often based on, and I, I emphasize this, on sin, right? And expresses its 
self and uncontrolled anger. In particular, I keep coming back to this, but First John 2 says there's these, these three things that we've got to be very careful about. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and, and the boastful pride of life, right? These, these um, things make us, Daniel, like beasts, right? They, they make us like, um, like something that was just created rather than created in the image of God. So when our selfish lusts of the flesh are denied, we get wrathful. When the lust of our eyes, I've got to have this. When the lust of our eyes is, um, is denied us, we get wrathful. Ultimately, when we give in to that temptation to pride, we get wrathful. And our wrath is not based on, on truth. That's not based on anything other than emotions and a desire to be God, to replace the Holy One with ourselves. But God's wrath is not like that. Don't confuse the two. God, don't, don't mistake, God is wrathful, but his wrath is measured. His wrath is not based on sin. It is a holy response to sin, right? If you see someone being sinned against, then it makes you, it raises up something in you. And that's how God feels about his precious children, right? When he sees sin, people sinning against his his, his creation, his, his creation itself, but also especially the pinnacle of creation, his people, then, then he responds with measured response. Now just think for a second. How long have we been in last days? Sunday school question. How long have we been in last days? 2,000 years, right? Uh, 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 and is God slow, right? Several people in scripture say, you know, is he, no, no, what is he doing? He's measuring out his response, right? He's given us every opportunity to turn to him, to turn from our sin and to turn to him. God's, God's wrath is not uncontrolled anger, otherwise we would all be toast, right? His, his wrath is a measured response and make no mistake, it is coming. Most of the consequences that we have faced up this point are just the consequences of our own decisions, right? But there is coming a time, um, uh, Paul says in Romans 1, and, and John recounts in Revelation 15 and 16, where, where the justice of God will be made known in his measured response. The wrath of God will come. Wow. So the wrath of God is first and foremost a judgment on sin. But make no mistake, it's also a judgment on people who steadfastly cling to their sin rather than to God's steadfast love. Right? Rather than to his steadfast love evidenced in his mercy and grace. So can I add a third question to the two? Do you remember the questions, right? Um, who is worthy? Jesus, right? We, um, we asked ourselves that hard question in Revelation chapter 5. Who can stand under the wrath of God? Those who put their trust in God, Revelation chapter 6. But the question for us here now in 15 and 16 is not even what is the wrath of God, but how do we worship God in his wrath? Not pretending that his wrath does not exist, not, not creating God in our own image, but how do we worship God in his wrath? 
How many times? How many times have you said or heard someone say, I could never worship a God who blank, right? How many times have you said that? How many times have you heard that? Said, Do you, you understand the danger of that question or that statement? It, 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 it betrays the fact that we're creating God who we want him to be, right? We're creating God who we want him to be. I, uh, I'm blessed to um, uh, play racquetball with a Hindu, uh, and, and we've been trying to understand each other. Oh, gosh. So foolish. Um, when, I was, when I was in college and, and someone dunked on me or beat me, I would say, you dog, right? I, would, I know, I know. Now, Muslim is not a Hindu. A Hindu is not a Muslim. But it dawned on me, about the third time I said to my Hindu friend, you dog, that I might be saying something I didn't intend to say. So I asked him, his name befittingly is Krishna, and, and, and I said, Krishna, I am so sorry. That's just, I, it's a term of affection for me. I say that all to my brothers, you dog. And he said, that's okay. I, I read your heart, right? I read your heart. Um, wow. Uh, we want to we want to ask ourselves here, who is the God who's invited us to worship Him? And even if it presses us, even and it will, because He is not like us. Even if it presses us to surrender and say, "I'm going to worship who You have revealed Yourself to be, God." So, so how do we do that? Let me just challenge you in two big fronts. I'm going to say them both here because if, if we we are going to run out of time, if we, I, I want you to make sure you understand this. How do we worship God in the midst of wrath? The reason I ask that question is because twice in the middle of the bowls being poured out, they break into worship, right? Twice in the middle of that, they just break into song. I'm going, man, that would have been my first response as the judgment of God is being poured out. What's going to help me worship him even in the midst of what we've learned about him and his wrath? What's going to help me is if I see God as he really is. As I see God as he really is. You see, Revelation 15 says that God is sovereign over all. Revelation 15 says God is feared by all. Revelation 15 and 16 says God is glorified above all. God is holy in all his attributes. God is righteous in all his ways. God is loving toward all his creation. If I see God for who he really is, it helps me to worship him. And it helps me to understand his Response of wrath toward that which is not of him. So the clear conclusion is that God is infinitely worthy of eternal worship. He's infinitely worthy of worship. The second thing that helps me worship God in the midst of his wrath is to see myself, let me say this differently, to see humanity as we really are. Because all those things I named, right, um, we refuse to accept. We have denounced the sovereignty of God. We have disregarded the fear of the Lord. We have defamed the glory of God. We've dishonored the holiness of God. We've despised the righteousness of God. We've denied the love of God. Everything that he revealed himself to be, we rejected, right? And so if the clear conclusion based on who God is is that he's worthy of worship, the clear conclusion about seeing humanity for what humanity is is that we are infinitely deserving. 
This is holy ground, beloved. We're infinitely deserving of his eternal wrath. Wow. Cheerful message today. Graduation Sunday. Have a nice day, okay? It'd be terrible if it ended right there, right? It'd be terrible if that was all that we learned from from Revelation. God certainly is worthy of eternal worship, but, but if he's left us in this state of condemnation of his eternal wrath, what kind of good news is that? That's why I beg you. Don't just see God who, for who he really is. Don't just see humanity for who we really are, but see and respond to the hope of the gospel, right? And our hope is not in what we do. Our hope is in what God has done. Because at the cross, God expressed his wrath towards sin. Did you understand that? All that wrath that we see in Revelation 15, 16, all that wrath that we see in in Romans chapter 1 has been expressed at the cross on the person who least deserved it, who did not deserve it at all, on the only one to ever walk this earth without sin, God expressed his wrath on his only begotten son. But it wasn't because it was his son. It was because Jesus in love chose to bear our sin on that cross, right? So, so, So God has expressed his wrath toward sin at the cross. But at the cross, God also endured, because Jesus was fully man and fully God, God also endured his wrath against sin. In In this mystery of the cross, God is both pronouncing his wrath and also taking that wrath upon himself. And he's enduring that wrath for, against sin for Sinners, right? And at the cross, God has enabled salvation for people like you and me. I hope, I hope you're not taken aback if I call you a sinner. Are there any sinners in the room? Oh, gosh. I understand why Paul would say, um, I'm chief of sinners. Um, because he lived into this reality. He understood the magnitude of his sin. But at the cross, God enabled salvation for sinners. So what shall we do? Come on up, worship team. What shall we do, right? For those who are not yet followers of Jesus Christ, repent, turn from the temptations of the created and of creation to the creator. Receive the mercy of God. Yes, we deserve the wrath of God, but the price has already been paid and all we need to do to receive that is to believe that Jesus Christ took that wrath upon himself. Repent and believe and receive the mercy of God before it's too late. Let me just pray for a minute for those who might be in that situation here in the room or online. God, thank you uh, for truth. It's a, it's a scarce commodity in our culture right now. But thank you for this truth revealed in even your wrath, God, that though the wrath of God is about to be poured out on all creation, you've already made a way. You have made a way for us 
to experience blessing and not wrath. You have made a way for us. Oh, God, grant for those who still have not come to that place where they could humble themselves and say, I need you, Jesus. I'm not sufficient in and of myself. Grant them, grant us, God, the the mustard seed of faith. The righteous shall live by faith. To believe that Jesus' work was enough to claim his work on the cross. If you're in that place today, I just invite you, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for me. Lord Jesus, I believe that your death was sufficient for the wrath of God so that I might enter life and not condemnation. God, I believe you raised Jesus from the dead so that I might know that everything he said and did was true. I receive you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are at that place, whether you're at home or whether you're here with us, it's really important to tell someone. If you come to that place where you say, and I don't completely understand it, but I'm willing to take that step of faith and tell someone and, and, and we'll help you. We'll help you begin your new journey, your life of faith. Let me just close by saying to those of us who are followers of Christ and now who are responsible for understanding the wrath of God, what does that mean for us? How do we worship the God, uh, in his, worship God in his wrath? Let me just remind you of a couple things. Purity matters. Purity matters. And the word pure in the Bible is not unsullied. It's not never having been messed up. The word pure in the Bible is that which was unclean and has been made clean. Walk in your, your secondary purity. Walk in your purity. Will you mess up? Oh yeah. But, but the forgiveness of God is, is available to you every time you do. Walk in that purity. Don't participate in the things that, that bring God's wrath, right? Leave it behind. Let's leave behind the, the things that precipitated God's wrath, right? Walk in purity, but also witness with urgency. Witness with urgency, because apart from the mercy of God expressed in Jesus Christ's work on the cloth, we have no escape. The people that you know, the people that you work with, the people in your own family who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, if the wrath of God comes, they will not survive. They will not, they will not um, stand on anything other than the work of Jesus on the cross. So, so it's really important that by your life and, yes, by your words, you share with them. You're not responsible for them. You can't change hearts. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. All you're responsible to do is to walk in purity and to witness, to witness with urgency. But then lastly, and this is why if, you, if you're just on the fringes of our community, you might not understand when the dynamic you even experienced this morning. Why do we just get so emotional and, and rejoice at a high school or graduating or a baby being born or a new believer for the first time coming to faith. Why? Why? Because because we have this privilege of worshiping God, of giving God 
the glory, right? Worship comes from the English worthship. It's just to say, answer the first question, who is worthy? You, God, are worthy. Can I get a witness? Is, is, is God worthy? Say it with me. You, God, are worthy. You are worthy. So worship. Worship with sincerity, right? And, and, and then, then we won't just be preaching love without wrath, right? That would be indifferent, right? We won't just be, as is so popular right now, preaching justice without wrath, right? Because justice without wrath is ineffective. Watch what happens when they don't pull anybody over on the Lloyd Expressway, right? Um, then the, the, what is the, t- the average speed right now? It's somewhere between 82 and 85 miles an hour, right? I'm making that up, but I'm not, I'm not making it up too much. Every time I'm on that Lloyd, somebody blows by me, who of course is driving the speed limit. Um, and if I'm getting blown by, sin is happening, right? But without, without wrath, justice would be ineffective, right? But look at this. This is so weird. You've not put these words together, probably. I struggle to put them together. Love and justice and wrath together. Indescribable. Indescribable. God, thank you that you are holy. Thank you that you are worthy of our worship. Thank you, God, that you are here and available for your children. You didn't just create a world and and say, I hope this works out and abandon us, God, to our own devices. Instead, God, you made a way and you strengthened us to walk in it. You give us everything we need to worship you, even in the midst of your wrath. So God, help us to be the people that you need us to be, to to witness to the um, the love and glory of God. To, to proclaim God by our lives and, and become the people that you desire us to be. God, open our eyes, would you? Grant us such a vision of yourself. Yes, God, grant us such a vision of ourselves. Grant us, God, such a vision of your salvation. That we could not, God, but completely surrender to you. We love you, God. We ask this in Jesus' name.